Good morning, saints. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 3. So this morning, I would like to ask you a few questions. When you wake up each morning, what do you think about? When you go to bed at night, where do your thoughts turn? As you go throughout your day, what fills your mind? When you think about your future and you think about what is ahead, what occupies your thoughts? When your mind drifts throughout the day, when you're involved in various tasks, what do you inevitably wind up thinking about? What fuels your ambitions? What weighs you down? What puts a smile on your face? Is there something that is behind and underneath all that you put your hand to throughout the day? These are very important questions that we as believers should engage fully and not just our thoughts throughout the day but the entire trajectory of our life itself. We're all moving towards something. We're all motivated by something. And it is precisely this to which the Apostle will speak to in our text this morning. It's no secret, some people are motivated by greed and selfishness. Some people simply want to make a better life for themselves. Some people live with other people in mind. Others are driven perhaps by previous trauma or loss. Or perhaps they live to prove somebody wrong. Who has said or done something to them in the past. This morning we come to a pivotal section In Paul's letter to the Colossians. In the first half of the letter. He has told us all about Jesus. Who he is. Who he truly is. And what he has done. What God has done. For us. And in us. Through Christ. Paul has given a lengthy and pointed. Series of warnings about the very things that can. Pull us away from the simplicity of devotion to Christ. Things that might sideline us, distract, discourage, weaken us, and literally take people captive. So this morning, now in chapter 3, he addresses the practical What do I do in light of these truths? How do I then live? How do I apply them to my life? How do these truths transform me or mold me to be the person that I need to become? It is at this point that I must make two assertions. That are absolutely critical for us at this point. 
The first one is one that I speak to often. And that's this. Theology. The study of God. Who he is. Knowing him. Theology undergirds everything that you encounter in the New Testament. Do not sleep on that. The way the New Testament letters are formed, you are first usually given truth about Jesus, truth about salvation, truth about God, and truth about you. And then you're told what to do with that truth. Rarely is that order inversed. The New Testament is not just a random collection of ideas for how to make you a better version of you. Or to make this world a happier place. The New Testament makes truth statements about Jesus and about you and then tells you how to live in light of these truths or in light of the truth. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So we always start We always begin with the question, what is the truth on this matter? And we use the straight edge of God's word for that very purpose. Remember, Jesus said, John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The New Testament asserts that there is absolute truth truth and the new testament is actually not very concerned with your truth or my truth or their truth the new testament simply and consistently presents the truth now second and very closely related is that every time we are told to do something or act in a certain way, or live a certain way, it is connected to truth about Jesus, or about you, or both. You cannot separate the two, and nor can you inverse the order. The Holy Spirit in God's Word will tell you about your wonderful life in Christ, your new life in Christ. He will tell you that you are a new creation in Christ. He will tell you that you are forgiven. He will tell you that Jesus is Lord of all. He will tell you that you are a citizen of heaven. He will tell you that we are members one of another. It does not matter our ethnicity, our age, our background. We are members one of another in Christ. The Spirit will tell you in God's word that Jesus is coming back. It is these wonderful truths that inform us as to how we are to live. 
The Bible does not tell us to live a certain way for some random reason. No, God is in charge. God makes the rules. And we have each, as believers in Christ, been gifted with a stupendous inheritance. So what he tells us regarding how to live is both what is best for us and is also the only option regarding how to live our life in light of our new life in Christ. In just a moment, we'll read our text. But before we do that, I want you to focus, if you will, on three colossal truths that Paul will present in these few verses. Because these truths, these are the ones that anchor our thoughts, that tell us how to live. And these truths are simply truths that he's already told us before. And here's what they are. Number one, we have been raised with Christ. Number two, kind of makes sense, you've already died. You've died to this world. You can't be raised if you don't first die. And number three, Christ is coming again. And he's coming for you and for me. So let's read our text this morning. Colossians chapter 3. The first four verses. Keep in mind this is the, the hinge. Right? He's given us truth. He's taught us theology. He's taught us doctrine. He's taught us about Christ. He's taught us about sin. About forgiveness. About being born again. All of those things. And now there's the hinge. And he's going to say. Now here's how you live. In light of what I've taught you. Colossians chapter 3. The first verse says this. If then you have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your Life appears. Then, then will you appear with him in glory. Now, before we dive into these details, the apostle gives us a governing principle. Set your mind on things above. Be heavenly minded. Be preoccupied with heavenly things. Do not be distracted. Do not be dissuaded by earthly matters. It is of course true that this is indeed where we live. But our true and highest thoughts should be of Christ. In every circumstance. In everything that we engage ourselves with. 
And the truth is, when we get this straight, when we develop this in our lives, all the other things, they fall into place. We can see them with a correct and a helpful perspective. So let's start right here from the very beginning. He says, if you have been raised with Christ. Now you need to know that that is better rendered from the Greek since you have been raised with Christ. He's not asking a question. Like some of your translations will bear that out. He's making a statement. You have been raised with Christ. It is a fact. Remember what Paul told the Ephesians that we have been raised with Christ and seated in the heavenlies with him. That's chapter 2, verse 6. Paul told the Romans that we reign in life with Christ. Romans 5, 17. This is what we call our position in Christ. This is, what our, this is why he died. And this is what he has given to us through faith in him. It is a free gift. It is who we are. Now Paul says in light of this. Set your mind on things above. That's an action verb. It's a decision. It requires intentionality on our part. To be preoccupied with the Lord's business. To think about what is to come. But now here's the important part. Remember what we talked about last week. What motivates us in this is not guilt and it is not shame. That's not the Christian life. The motivator is learning and remembering who we are in Christ. What my identity is, my true identity, which is in Christ. What should we be chasing in this life? Anything and everything that has to do with Christ. Things that do not have an expiration date. Things that do not sparkle in the moment, but fade away. This is what we call the eternal perspective. It is so easy to fixate upon and to chase things that sparkle in the moment. Remember Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. Matthew 6 verse 33. All of scripture points us to this one truth. Seek first the kingdom of God. And remember what he said next. And all these other things will be added to you. Those things will, be, will take care of themselves. You put your focus on the Lord and his kingdom and his work. But notice how clear Paul is in our text. 
The core of what we chase after is that which is connected to Christ. We seek heavenly things. We fix our minds on what is above. Why? Because that's where Christ is. And we have been united with Christ. Now you've heard it said, perhaps, don't be so heavenly minded that you are of no earthly good. I reject that statement. When you and I, in a healthy way, in a biblical way, in a mature way, develop a sense of being heavenly minded, truly heavenly minded, we will be of so much good to those around us. Our hearts, our minds will be filled with the love that God has for us and for people. And that will begin to spill over to the people that we engage on a regular basis. They actually won't be able to escape it. Because we are filled with the love of God. And it shows in how we prioritize other people, how we serve and seek to bless other people, even our disposition towards them. Christ is seated at the right hand of God. His work of redemption is finished. In that, he has been to the cross. He has suffered. He has died. He has risen again. And he's not going to repeat that. God will bring all things into conformity with his will in due time. Christ is Lord of all. Christ is seated in heaven. And that is why Paul says you fix your mind on those things which are above. We have been raised to new life. We are no longer dead in our sins. So our affections, our longings, our musings should be rooted in the heavenlies and not down here. We have been reborn for so much more. He continues. Now listen, if we have also been raised with Christ... That also, that implies the scriptural truth that we've died with him. We have died to the things of this world. And died to the pull and the direction and the temptations that it has. Baptism illustrates that so beautifully. I've died with Christ. And I've risen to new life in him. We will have baptisms next Sunday. But saints, here is the beautiful part. My life, your life, is hidden with Christ in God. We do not seek to find fulfillment in the things of this world. We have been bought 
with a price. We choose, we endeavor to serve God joyfully in whatever circumstances we might find ourselves. Acts chapter 16, remember Paul and Silas chained in a Philippian jail, singing hymns and annoying everyone around them. This life is passing. We know this world is fallen and we know we encounter so many sorrows and hardships in this life. But saints, we have died to the elemental principles of this world. Which is why Paul begged us in chapter 2, do not allow anyone to take you captive Through vain deceit and philosophy which will never answer any questions that you have about life. But rather, he says, root yourself in the truth of God. Establish yourself upon the truth of God's word and remain in the love of God. My dear friend, what is your current perspective regarding your life? Do you understand and do you seek to grow in the knowledge that your true life is hidden with Christ in God? That all that you do, all that I do, all that we do collectively should be for the honor and the glory of God alone. Perhaps you've been exposed to, or perhaps you've engaged in what we call a five-year plan. Sometimes it's financial, like a five, 10, 15-year plan. Maybe a financial plan. Maybe in your career you have certain goals that you're, that you're chasing after that you want to develop, and all of which is fine, but I do have a question for you. When was the last time you gave thought to your 100-year plan? Your 1,000-year plan? When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing his praise than when we had first begun. That's the plan ultimately that you want to endeavor to engage. I'm not saying don't engage in the other ones. I'm simply saying that's not first. That comes second. Now let's complete this trilogy and bring in the heavy hitter. What does Christ, what does Paul say about Christ? He tells us that Christ is coming again. Saints, this is our blessed hope. The great joy An expectation of every Christian. The Lord's appearing in the twinkling of an eye. Life as we know it will not continue forever. He is coming back for his bride. Those who have fallen asleep in Christ we know will rise first. And those of us who remain And are alive will meet him in the air. 
And so shall we ever be with the Lord. When was the last time you pondered that deeply? That you fixed your mind on that? And again, I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm trying to point you to that which is life-giving in the midst of the trials and the tribulations and the grief and the sorrow and the disappointments that we inevitably face in life. Fellow saint, is this your joyful expectation? Is this your longing? This world is not your home. Your citizenship may be in a country in this world, but the Bible says your true citizenship is in heaven. Philippians 3, verse 20 and 21. By God's grace, I have the opportunity to travel and visit our missionaries. I love seeing God at work in all the different cultures and places around the world. Such rich experiences with other believers. But I can tell you this. When I travel, I never part ways with my passport. And I'm always thinking about home. Because that's where my family is. That's where my church is. And here's what I'm getting at. We know this life, this world is not our home. I am not suggesting that we be completely disengaged. That we don't live meaningfully in life. That we don't enjoy things in life. That we don't have godly ambition to do well in our work or whatever else it might be. Please do all of those things. But just keep the order in the right way. Friends, this is the New Testament summed up. Christ is our life. Verse 4. He is not number one. He is not the most important. He's not at at the top of the list. He is the list. Christ is our life. Life. He is not added to a collection of our interests or our pursuits. He is our life. Saints, in light of our wondrous salvation, let us be fervent in serving one another. Let us be mindful and helpful. Toward the poor and the downcast among us. Let us strive to encourage and help one another in the Lord. Let us be red hot in serving him. With our minds set on things above. And not on things on this earth. Most gracious heavenly father we thank you. We thank you for the hope that old rugged cross. Thank you for that cross. Thank you for the Lord Jesus 
who became sin for us. Our sins, not in part, but the whole. The Lord Jesus who suffered, who sweat drops of blood in anticipation of what was ahead, knowing full well that he would absorb our sin and your wrath on our sin. We thank you that your righteous indignation and your wrath upon sin has been fully and completely satisfied. Propitiation. Because Christ died in the place of sinners. Thank you for the mercy and the love and the grace that was shown us. Oh Lord, inevitably in the Trials that we are facing, we find ourselves in the midst of today. Revive us, refresh us, strengthen us. Renew our resolve to walk with you, to have our minds renewed. Oh Lord, meet us where we are today. Encourage and help. And support us. That we might be good news. To those around us. We give you thanks and praise. We thank you for the simplicity. And the power of the gospel. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Plus nothing. And you will be saved. It's in Jesus name that we pray. Amen.